We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is uh, not here, he's on assignment, but this week on Out Now, which is a film podcast where we generally discuss new, movie, new movies, uh, it's one of these special bonus episodes. Um, and this bonus episode is covering Sundance 2023. That's right, we've once again dis- ascended to the snowy utah mountains of sundance <laughs> uh, to talk about the film festival and, and what it's what it's held uh for those who were able to uh, attend in some capacity whether they're there in person or virtually and that's exactly what happened here i was there virtually uh, <laughs> to some degree i got to see a number of things but our guest joining us was there in person joining us for this sundance discussion we have from firstshowing.net he's once again managed to escape out of his own home country it's alex billington hello thank you I did escape. I have, I went back to Utah, believe it or not. <laughs> Alex, how are, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm tired. I'm jet lagged now because I am home. Well, I, I am across the world. I, I am glad that you're able to uh, devote your time once again to, to, to twice in a year. Look at this. You're like already you're already knocking it out for you out now. Yeah, I'm already causing you to lose lots of listeners, but let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's always good to ha- it's always good to have some perspective on Sundance, and I know you're you're a, a longtime veteran. Of the uh, of the Sundance uh, attendance, uh, so it'll be great to have yeah. your perspective on this year's festival, especially since you were you there last year. You you watched films, but where did you go there last year? No, they they canceled the online last year. They, uh, sorry, the, the in person last year. They were like planning to do it, and then uh, it was like two or three weeks before they were like, "Oh, we have to cancel it." No. I remember that it was like a last minute thing that they yeah. did. They cancel? Did it? Was it still open though? Was it still like happening in person? Like they just. I think they had like a couple, not in Park City, but I think they had like a couple theaters around the U.S. that like showed a few films, maybe. Okay, because I, I remember, I, know, I, remember yeah. I remember it was very last minute that they opened up the online thing, even though it was already very formatted and ready to go. So like, did they really do it last minute, or did they just tell us that it was last minute? <laughs> no, no, they 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 were all the 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 change was last minute in terms of they were going to do what they did this year, which was like the half and half, uh-huh. you know, mix of both. And then I think they're just like, well, we can't do that. We'll do everything online. Okay. Well, this year everything's returned in a sense yeah. to, to normal to some degree. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I, aside from masks, I would say everything was exactly as it has been before. It was exactly back to normal. Like, you know, same amount of screenings. I think they, had, they were missing one major venue or two, maybe, but everything else felt the same aside from some people wearing masks. Okay. Well, with that in mind, let's let's talk about it. Let's. So let's talk about your experience going back to Sundance. I mean, you just mentioned that it was, you know, obviously I, I imagine there was more precaution compared to normal years. But what was the what was the experience like? What was the vibe of of, of uh, Park City? Everyone was extremely excited to be back. Like literally, the constant buzz around you at every screening was like, "I'm so happy to be here," and I'm so and and uh, you know the the I would say it's controversial, but it's really not. But the, the feeling is also it's so much better to be there in the buzz in the mix of people and to like sit in these screenings and hear the applause and the laughter and all of this. Um, and the biggest thing I noticed this year was that a majority of the attendees were industry people. I even, I got in an Uber one time and the guy was like, where are you from? New York or LA? And I was like, well, neither. Why do you say that? And he's like, well, everyone I pick up is in the film industry from New York and LA. (laughs) And it's very much like, Everyone in the film industry says, well, it's January. We're not doing anything. We're going to go make our little ski snow trip to Utah and watch some films in Park City. 
at Sundance. And a lot of it was also like, I met a guy in line who saved a spot for me when we were getting food. And he was like, oh, I work in the film industry. And I said, where? And he's like, oh, I just work in the like accounting department of Paramount. And so even like a random dude who, you know, has nothing to really do with the making of films and just works there was also like he flew on his own dime and came to Sundance just to see films. Um, and the vibe was kind of like, we're just so happy to be back. And um, almost every single screening I went to was completely sold out, packed. I don't think there was one I was at that had like more than a couple seats left. Um, which is always a good sign that even in, you know, I think it's $25 a ticket now that still people are packing out the, th the cinemas. And, you know, my, my biggest fear is always like when some like two old grandmas from, you know, Ohio show up and they're like about to see this hardcore like Brandon Cronenberg mess your mind up thing. And I'm like, do you guys know what you're getting into? <laughs> um, but you generally, know it. we lived it, son. And then they said, well, I, no, I've had a lot of walkouts where like you, like, I'm sure. The first, the first like sex scene in ten minutes. They're like, "Oh, what did we buy tickets to?" But no, this year everyone seemed to be generally aware of, you know, and, and willing to kind of sit down and get into whatever it was. Because Sundance is key, and I think it was a strong year. Is that they're really great at programming really strong films, and even in the stuff I didn't like, I'm like the, the filmmaking quality is great, and therefore, I think a lot of people who go trust that they're going to walk into something and see something good, no matter what it is. Like, and a lot of what I walked into, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm about to watch. And I'm like, I don't know anything more than maybe one actor in it. And we'll just see what it is. And usually was good. What was your experience at home, man? What was it? <laughs> Mine was fine. It, it was a matter of, I have work. I have things I need to do. Yeah. So I can only do so much. That said, it's Sundance. And it's like, okay, let me try to like cram what I can. So it'd be like, all right, let me get my work done. And then I'll, and the movies there are generally like 90-ish minutes. It was a little... Yeah, there was some a lot of two hour ones this year. It's like fine, okay, but like I try to like get in one after work, then like watch one after dinner. So I just kind of like you know build my time that way. So I got so I got in a number doing that, doing it that way. And, do you still uh, do you still feel like you're part of it even though you're at home? Is there that kind of sense from? I mean, I mean no, no, because <laughs> I'm not there and I've never been there. Uh, okay, my, okay. For, I, my lovely girlfriend and I would love to go at some point, like, you know, get all yeah, dressed sure. for the snow and whatnot. And then I'd be like, I hate snow, but at least I'm <laughs> inside and it's cozy. Um, we're having fun together. Like, that's nice. But um, regardless, I've never, you know, the idea of being at a film, like I've been to film festivals. So, like, I know what that can feel like as far as being in a crowd, having a certain kind of, you know, of, you know, a uh, feeling of a. Uh, uh, you know, varying emotions going on at the same time in a screening of something you've never seen before, let alone filmmakers being there and stuff like that. Like there's something there that's, you know, missing from a singular virtual experience where there's distractions all around you. Um, so it's like, do I feel like I was a part of it? No, because not really. It's more of the context of conversations going online. That makes sense to me because I'm aware of the films that are happening, but certainly not the kind of feeling you get from actually physically being there. No, of course. I, I think um, yeah. more about it from that sense of like, hey, everyone's talking about this film and now you get to see it and participate in that conversation, too. Because the last two years was when I was doing it from home, too. That that was the feeling I got. Like, I was like, oh, I'm sad I'm not there. But at the same time, there was this kind of community feel to all of us being like, hey, we're all talking about the same film. I actually liked it more than the rest of the year because the rest of the year, like everyone's talking about random stuff all the time. And finally, we were all like being able to talk about these same films at the same moment and actually converse within a community about them, which I, which I, I guess that's what I'm wondering is that you, as someone active on Twitter and as someone, 
you know, part of the film community, could you still feel that sense? Could you be like, oh, everyone's talking about this film, so I get to watch it now? That's yeah, that's a fair way to look at it. I I will say that like personally, I somewhat avoided it mainly because I wanted to have because like the films being screened there versus the ones that are available online, not always at the same time or what have you. So I wanted oh, to feel okay. like fairly fresh when I was watching some of these movies. So I didn't sure. want to have like much outside influence, like knowing things in advance about like a movie and being like, oh, let me cross my arms and see what I'm getting into here. Mm. But at the same, you know, by the end of the week, when most of the things have been seen, sure. Like it's neat to, you know, read up on, you know, various impressions and get a sense of what that is and have a context for it as far as yeah i saw that i agree or disagree what have you so yeah. like i yeah like it's there's a feeling there that can be that can be obtained from just yeah kind of uh, uh what is it um uh cultural um not mitosis um <laughs> <laughs> but just absorbing the information around the same time so oh, yeah. uh, with that said as far as the experience of actually watching the films i will tell you this the roku app sucks for sundance it's bad <laughs> Wow, it's really, okay. really bad. It did not work at all for me. You could log oh. in um, and you could like select stuff, but then it wouldn't play. It would just take you back mm. to the screen again. It's a terrible, terrible app and that should be fixed. Sure. I'm surprised it wasn't fixed during the festival because I can't be the only one that complained about it. Uh, so I ended up having to use my computer as a, you know, and just mirror it to my television, which is, you know, yeah. fine. It's not <laughs> of, the, of the things to complain about in the world. This is not an issue. It's just more of, well, you made an app and it doesn't work. That's not yeah. good. So. Yeah, like, you know, from a technical standpoint, some bugs to work out, Sundance. <laughs> that's, that's what's on Yeah, they, you know, the, the, not to tangent briefly, but every festival since the pandemic has had horrible technical problems with anything that's digital. Like, every website crashes when they put tickets up. Every festival sucks at doing anything online. And I'm like, kind of like you're saying, like, haven't you guys had time to work on this and figure this out? And the answer consistently seems to be no. Like, I almost think they don't care. They're like, well, we, could, we had a one dude you know, sitting at a server making sure it works and that's it. And I don't know, I guess. Yeah, it's what, what got me is like, it seems so competent loading it. Like, it's like, okay, it's loading. I'm logged <laughs> yeah. in. I, the films are all there. I, the UI is good enough where I get what they're trying. And then I get to this, you know, I get to the thing where it's like play and I press play and then it's even loading and the things circling around. It's like, here we go. And then it takes me right back to the screen. It's like, that's not how you play. And then I click it again and I go to the list. It's like, okay, this time it's going to work. And it didn't work. So it's like, well, <laughs> this is uh, not the most uh, productive use of uh of this technology so that's that's a shame okay so i think we've gotten both sides of what of how sun yeah. this uh, could be let's let's get into the actual movies uh, yes, that we yeah. saw let's uh, so alex i want to ask you what are, where were some uh what were some of your favorites? Let's start out. What were some of your favorite films of the fest? Well, 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 well. I really, I saw almost uh, 50 so far. Like, I saw 29 of them at the festival and about another 15 to 20 on online. Um, so I saw I, considerably I, less. I saw <laughs> le less, less than half of that. <laughs> so. uh, but, but I say this because um, I felt like my selection this year was pretty on the, the, the nose, I guess would be the way to say it, of... Like everything I saw was was damn good, and I had one of my um, friends who who writes for showing every so often was like he watched like fifteen online I think, and he said everything he saw was not good, and I was like looking at his list thinking like man you missed all of the good ones, so um, I'm glad I got to see a lot of the stuff that people also were raving about. So my my number one like I mean my number th my top three are Fair Play, Past Lives, and Rye Lane, and Theater Camp which was like the big, one of the big sales. Theater Camp got bought by Searchlight for like 20 million or something like this. Of course it did. 
Um, Rylane was Rylane's in my top three as well. Yeah, I love Rylane. Um, we could talk about that one. Rylane yeah. is like this this British rom com that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I mean, it was already bought by Searchlight, and it has a UK release in March. And um, clearly, yeah, it's on, they it's on, it's on Hulu in March as well for America. So yeah, and clearly, clearly the studio like read the script and and the filmmaking, which is from a, a, a different director, a female director who didn't write the script. They they knew what they were getting into because this turned out great, like um, fresh and funky. I love the weird eclectic score to it that is like not what you would expect, but also really cool in the way they make it new and fresh, and just this. You know, I when I was writing about it as one of my most anticipated, I, I said it's like, oh, before it's going to be before sunrise, before sunset, but like with these two um, black British kids kind of like meeting in the street and, you know, falling in love. But it's it's not really that, but it kind of has that vibe, but it's also so cool and funny. And yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, it's a much, you know, the before series is a much more uh, measured uh, approach to the idea as far as what Linklater and Hawk and Delpy yeah, are doing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's more laid back where this is very energetic and very visually inventive. Oh, yeah, yeah. It has a lot of style to it that I appreciated. And it's use of like flashbacks and people telling stories about things that happened or what have you. And like the the the. the um, it, yeah, no, it's a good movie. It's funny. It's it. Um, what was I trying to say? It. it it's tight. <laughs> Dom, yeah, it's great. It's a, it's, cool. it's, a, it's, no, it's a very tight note. It's like under ninety minutes, and it gets yeah. to its point rather quickly. Where it's like, I mean, is there a way to like flesh out these characters more, perhaps? But I like that it's so just yeah. like on a roll with what it's trying to accomplish, and it does so while being very likable. I mean, it, it's yeah. these are yeah. the, it, the the two chair good uh, David Johnson and Vivian Opera that like they have good chemistry together. And you know, you mentioned the before series. It reminded me of that. Did you see that HBO series, uh, HBO Max series, uh, Starstruck? No, it's it's another kind of it's it's very good, um, but it, it had a similar energy to it as far as the way these characters relate to each other or what have you. Where it's just kind of both of them are in their own sort of headspace and they have to get out of it. And uh, mm. but as a you know, as a just a really solid feature film. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one as well. It was, uh, this was like one of the last films I saw and I was happy that it was because it just left on a good note. Okay. I'm, I'm, I was most impressed by the scenes where they finally get to address their exes, like the, the dinner scene and then the scene <clears throat> later with uh, her at the, 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 his apartment. And I was like, this is great. This is like the, the ultimate, also kind of like cathartic, you know, F your ex kind of moment between both of them. And it was hilarious to see and my theater was laughing a lot at all these scenes, and it it really, I think it nailed the vibe of of this kind of like we've seen so many romantic comedies, we've seen this concept, but how can you make it new again? And this really felt new and different in a way that is completely satisfying. And I'm I just hope that it does well when it opens. Like I even if no one watches it on Hulu in the U.S., at least I hope like in the U.K. people go out in droves to see it. We'll find out. <laughs> well, what else? Um. Fair play. Did you see Fair Play? I saw half of Fair Play and then it expired. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, that's the worst because it was such. It was like a buildup. Fair Play is like the uncut gems of this year. Um, also, literally set in New York City, following a high-powered like this one's about Wall Street brokers. And um, I, it's weird to talk about this because you're like, I know what happens, but you also don't know what happens. But um, no, I'm fine. I, I, okay, yeah. I totally love Fair Play. It was uh, this was a great film where I had I didn't see the first screen, but I had like heard people saying it's great, and I walked in kind of with this idea of like I don't really know what I'm about to see. 
Um, I, I all I know is that it has uh, Han Solo from Solo in it. Um, Aaron Reich, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and the the woman I thought I recognized, and then I looked her up, and I'm like, I don't really know who she is. Um, she comes from TV, right? She's uh, on. She's on Bridgerton. Yeah, which exactly. I, which I don't didn't know. I had to look it up. I was like, I'm sure this is somebody, but I just yeah. didn't know who it was. Yeah, exactly. And then um, the, watching her, it, it, I mean, in the, the simplest way to describe it is that it's a it's about her kind of getting promoted while. Uh, this is what I put in my tweet because I thought it was a great description. While all the douche bro Wall Street guys around her get pissed that she got promoted and they pull the kind of typical, oh, she got promoted because she's a woman and she's hot and blah, blah, blah. But actually, she's really good at what she does. And the worst part about it is watching her relationship with him fall apart because at first he gives this kind of, oh, uh, congratulations, I'm, ha- I'm proud for you, you know, superficial speech. And then you watch as he turns out to be extremely jealous and upset and turns into like an asshole within, you know, minutes. Um, and it's this, this energetic film that just like has the same intensity as uncut gems where it just keeps, you're like, is she going to, is this going to happen? Is this, Oh, what's going on? What's going on? And um, I was just so amped up watching it. And by the end, my favorite part was at the end, uh, the, the audience erupted into like instant standing ovation, which is actually not as common as you think in Sundance. And uh, uh, I was standing in the back because I had to leave and I was like listening to Because <laughs> Americans are so much more wussy than <laughs> the well, European yeah. audiences when it comes to standing ovation. Well, true. And also they, uh, I, I, it's weird to say this because no one will believe me, but I do think it's true is that they actually truly do only give it if it's worthwhile. Like, if, if not everyone feels like they should give it, like, there were a lot of films that were the, it seemed like the audience liked it, but they were just, like, clapping in their chairs when it was over, like, yeah, okay, good job. But this one, you could feel, like, the audience was like, hell yeah! And there was a guy in the back who was just standing up yelling, bravo, bravo, the whole time, and I was like, I feel you, dude, I feel you. <laughs> um, so it was a great screening, because this was exactly the kind of vibe you want to have with this film. And it was a big sale. I think Netflix bought it for a ton of money. And I wrote this like review where I was like, this the filmmaker who's a woman, she said in the Q&A, she was like, the first question someone asked was like, where did this come from? And she was like, well, I was inspired by men. <laughs> she said, I was inspired by the experiences I've had with men. And I was in a relationship exactly like this, where he didn't believe in what I wanted to achieve too. And I'm like thinking this is almost meta commentary where she's like, okay, she made a film about Wall Street brokers, but now she's a filmmaker who has literally just hit it big in, in the Sundance with her film her feature debut and now she's the king of the town and she her so her meta context of she wanted to make it big and do something is be an awesome successful filmmaker who's going to go on and make incredible shit well now she's doing that exact thing and i can only imagine her ex is like well shit <laughs> you know um and it was just a great experience of of everything i wanted in a movie and um my other big commentary on this which is you know i want to talk about this when it comes out is that the film is about Wall Street people, and I hate Wall Street people, but I don't mind this film because I think it's one of these rare films where I'm like, the film is not about that commentary. The film is not really meant for us to sit there and question like, oh, is she doing, is she being greedy? Is she, be, you know, they're stealing all these money from these people that are doing all these things. You know, is that ethically okay? That's not what the film is about. The film is set within that world and given that context, but also giving us an incredible thriller in a cinematic sense of what we're supposed to be watching and seeing their story play out. And that's the commentary. The commentary is about men and women and in that sort of relationship. And that was thrilling to see. And I don't mind that it's Wall Street. I just mind how awesome it was to watch it. Well, I look forward to completing it one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, sad to hear. <laughs> um, I'll get into my favorite film that I saw at the fest, um, 1001. Oh yeah, um, which okay. went on to win the grand jury prize. Yeah, um, I was happy to see it the next day because I watched it 
<laughs> and I was like, this is great. And then like the next day, it's like, they agreed. Um, <laughs> I knew nothing about this going in. It's from director A.B. Rockwell. Um, it's the story of a, and it's a woman in the 90s played by Tiana Taylor who has kind of little means, rough background, and she kidnaps a, her, whoa, 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 spoiler here. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the, <laughs> it's the basic premise. I mean, she, she she takes a child from a foster family, um, who who is like her, essentially her son from a foster family, uh, so they can build a life, and it kind of go it goes on from there as far as you span multiple years, you see them kind of living together and their arrangements or what have you. At the same time, there's kind of a theme of gentrification going on involving New York at that mm-hmm. time. Um, so it's it's a it's a very it's very much a character study that happens to reflect like the evolving times within. New York and specifically like you know black areas um and it's just it's really well done like I just yeah. was I was really happy just how well it was put together yeah, uh like sure. down down to like the score which I thought was pretty great which I, yeah. did, which I I generally don't walk away from too many festival films being like oh the score was excellent but like it seemed particularly notable it's like I really like the music in this mm-hmm. in addition to that it's well acted I know nothing really about Taylor so it's like Okay, this is that person, I guess, and they're very good in this movie, along with the mm-hmm. actor playing her son and a few of the other side characters that come in here. Um, it just does all the things right for me as far as like what a you know a solid independent story could be that doesn't cash in on the kind of cliches of this kind of a, you know kind of a festival film or an indie drama or what have you. It just feels like it's hitting the beats that it wants to hit that make a lot of sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought. When she gets the kid, she was "quote unquote" rescuing him from. The well, system. I mean, yeah, I'm using the word like, kind of loosely. I mean, it, yeah, it's yeah. I, you, you're introduced to this character who's like, well, they they seem to want their child. What's the what's the means yeah. here? Foster families at that time. It's like, yeah. So it's, I mean, the film delves into this more eventually, but in terms of like, like the setup, it's like I don't exactly know the circumstances beyond just he wants your kid. <laughs> like, that's yeah, that's yeah, kind of exactly. throwing at you at and first. It, and it, 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 I think there were like one or two other films at Sundance that were also literally about foster kids and the system being a pain in the ass. So coming to this one and seeing how competently this was put together and seeing how I, I always feel weird saying this, but I but I like to drop this word, seeing how authentic it felt. Sure. Um, you know, being she's she's a woman from New York. She's from Harlem and the film is set in Harlem. And it's about these experiences. I think a lot of filmmakers now are, are basing their films on their own personal experiences and that's great because you can end up with something like this that is just really uh, incredible to see. And like you, I had, you know, I walked in being like, I have no idea what I'm about to see. I don't know any of these people in it. The description was kind of vague. And I watched it was like, this is a filmmaker that is so extremely talented. And I am so impressed by what she does. The time jump when you kind of start to see them grow up and then go through all, like you said, all the gentrification stuff. I'm like, wow, okay. She, she handled this with grace. She knows the story she's telling. It builds in the right way. It's not just this like brief story. It's kind of this really deep emotional, almost like a coming of age, I guess, but not really. It's kind of a mix and, of you know, that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I just like you, I was just like, wow, this is something to be aware of. And I, I was at the premiere. So I, I the woman was um, there for the Q&A and I, I I think this was this was an iconic sentence moment to me where I was like, I don't think she knows what she just stepped into in this two hours being to me the most talked about and most um one of the most uh like 
I don't know what Hollywood will say, but I feel like Hollywood is now like, this is the most important director to come out of Sundance. One of the most important directors to come out of Sundance this year. And as a first time filmmaker, I'm like, I, I'm just really in awe of what she made with this film. And I'm, I'm like you said, I'm glad it won too. I thought it was really deserving of that win. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. We can talk about this more. It's like, I, generally there's, you know, a few films that kind of, trip to the top as far as being the ones that are the most talked about at the fest. I don't know if I saw that, you know, there wasn't like a, a moonlight necessarily this year or even a, a coda, but, uh, there are certainly, you know, films that I admired and be neat to see kind of where things go. Um, you know, in the coming months, as far as when they, you know, eventually get released or what have you. Yeah, definitely. I would at, say, at the same at the same time you mentioned like Fair Play getting bought by Net. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of like huge acquisitions this year, right? There was no, there's some, yeah. but like it you know it wasn't like you know Palm Springs being bought for like what was it like seventeen million and change or something like that to like compete yeah. with the other previous one, like things like that that kind of were like yeah. oh my god, look how much money they spent or like you know Coda last year, Coda for what like twenty million from Apple or whatever. Like there weren't like giant ones com- compared to the past. But I had read about this before the festival. I think it was like Variety or IndieWire had run an article that said, it was like right when the festival started, it said there are tons of great films to buy, but very few interested buyers. And it was basically a hint that that's what would happen. There would be like three or four purchases during the festival and the rest would either end up being bought later or who knows what will happen, which is really sad because I thought there were enough great films that are like deserving of releases um even even fair play is interesting because i'm like this needs to be seen in the theater but at the same time i'm kind of happy that netflix bought it because at least it'll be given a kind of worldwide release for people to see it um but th- but that's the question for all of these it's like is it better off to be bought for a little bit of money and put into a limited theatrical release and hope people will see it or is it better to be bought and put immediately onto hulu or, or paramount plus or whatever you know given a chance to shine i don't know and i i always I mean, it, have this uh, what it's especially up in the air now, given that like we'll move some movies that you know Coda went won one best picture. I mean, the, yeah, or Moonlight went to A two four and hit in theaters and one best picture. Like it's like there there's so many there's so much different strategies at this point and ways to do these things where to the point where just spending the money makes news and that's already the idea that's trying to get you. But that's you know that's a risk to take as well. There's plenty of movies that've been bought for a lot of money that went nowhere. Happy Texas. Um, so it's like <laughs> um, the the notion of doing it for just for the win of the week. It's like, how far does that take you? Or like, what are we trying to get here? Are we trying to get studio, you know, cred for doing something? Are we trying to get actual eyes on this thing? Like there's so many different like avenues to look at, I think, as far as actually, you know, distributing this movie in some way where people will see it, let alone give it attention, whether it's awards attention or critical praise or audience praise. Yeah, true. This makes me want to ask you then, because I think this is a good one to discuss about this context. Did you see Magazine Dreams? Yes, I did. Okay. It, it sounds like you didn't like it. You're like, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> no, I, I'm just, I'm acknowledging, I don't know where this is going. I just, I saw it. Yeah. No, I, I, um, I want to talk about it because I think it's a great example of, to me, it was one of, if not the most talked about film of the festival, but not, and I wrote this yeah. one with you, but not I, because I would, it's great, but because it creates a conversation around it. And you're like, I have some problems with it, the endings especially, but at the same time, I'm like, well, this got t- people talking. And will people see it when it's released? I don't know. But at the festival, it got people talking. The consensus seems to be that the movie is not particularly great, but Jonathan Majors is amazing in it. Like, that seems to be like, it, it feels like that's kind of an agreed upon sentiment. I know some people like it more than others, but it seems like everyone yeah, exactly. acknowledges, like, this is a flawed movie. But Jonathan Majors, like, he's really good. 
which well, is true. I, don't he's, I, I think he's really good in the movie, and he's jacked, and I don't know how Michael yeah. B. Jordan is going to somehow beat this man in, in Creed Three, <laughs> but... Good question. I think it's because it's such a dark and, like, super intense movie at times. Like, and it, you know, I hate to pull this whole question of, like, who's it for? Because I hate this question in film criticism. Because it's a stupid question, that's why. <laughs> yeah, but but this is a film where, like, not not that this question is valid for this film, but it, it's, it kind of um, makes me think about it in the context of, like, what is the filmmaker trying to do with this film and this story? Like, yes, okay, it's the story of an obsessed bodybuilder who's extremely lonely and he starts to verge on, like, psychopathic um, violent tendencies and he's really angry. And that's clear in the story. But beyond that, and this is, this is I think, where the flaws come to play. You're like, what, what is your message? What is your goal with this? Like, where do you want to end the film? Which is his problem, I think. See, there's like five endings that I'm like, you know, pick there's, one. There's, make a there's more than that. And that's my yeah. issue with the movie. It has yeah. too many endings. <laughs> but, but part of my problem with the endings is, is, again, I'm like, what, what do you want us to take away from this? Like, okay, do you want us to think he, you know, the, this is cliche, but it's true. Is, do, you, do he just need some friends? <laughs> you know, do you want us to think that he, you know, obsession is a bad thing into this level. Do you want us to think that bodybuilding is a bad thing? Like, you know, and it's it's weird because so much of it I thought was so strong. Like watching him do all this and the in the shots of him just toning himself and and kind of descending into the world of bodybuilding competitions, which is kind of sad. But he also has no. I was actually thinking about this when I was writing my review. He doesn't. The filmmaker doesn't really have any commentary on the bodybuilding world. No, he kind of just really. shows it. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, is he trying to make us think that it's bad or good? Or he he just wants to, like, not even discuss that in this film? Yet it's about a bodybuilder. So he has, you know, there's, like, questions like that about the film. I mean, I'd argue that, I'd argue, like, Whiplash isn't necessarily about jazz. It has, like, it's not commenting on the nature of jazz. It's using that as a, you know, a catalyst to delve into obsession and perfection and, te- yeah. you know, all the other things that are going on. I think, and I think, I think that's the closest counter or closest like uh you know film familiar film to go with it as far as inspiration like yeah, it feels definitely. very much like a whiplash as far as what it's accomplishing but i i agree with you and i think that's but you know barbie thinks it's similar to something like i don't know sorry to bother you not in tone but as far as uh-huh. this director might be doing putting everything they can into this movie because they don't know <laughs> if they're going to make another movie after it like it feels because it does have yeah. like this it does have this kind of kitchen sink feel as far as it's tackling everything all the things you mentioned plus like you know masculinity black masculinity in particular Mm. uh there's so much that's here and that's why it has so many endings as well i think because it's like i'm trying to wrap all of this up some way but there's so much that i've i've you know so many questions i've asked and it's like Mm -hmm. well what am i what am i trying to answer and yeah i think that's the issue of the film um but again it's not as though Majors is bad in this movie. Like he is yeah, so, yeah. so clearly committed to this performance, and it's just yeah, I do wish it was. You know, I, I wish the the story around the performance was more well rounded. But you know, he is absolutely a force in this movie. I think it's also a great example of he clearly made this in the couple of months he had training and preparing for Creed. And I love when actors. I think it's most common with women when they get pregnant do a role that is natural to their what they're going through in real life opportunity and like take that role and kind of make something great out of it even though it was like oh they're just doing this for something else and i thought that was really cool of majors because like he's done enough other stuff right now that he like he didn't even need to do this but he was like hey i have a couple months in la to shoot this why not and he delivered a kick-ass performance and i was like damn okay man at the same time, it could also be like, well, I'm signed on for, you know, uh, there's these smaller filmmakers I've met or I have this passion project yeah, yeah, I yeah. want to be involved with. And like, this is the movie he wanted to do. And it's like, yeah, I'll also be Kang 
and the you know lead and and the co-lead and creed three not that i think creed three is some kind of like it's obviously it's not a scrappy underdog but it's also not some kind of it doesn't be like a cash in either it's a franchise but it's like well it's still you know these people making Creed. <laughs> like it's, yeah, like, yeah, of course. That's a respectable choice to make. So. But he's gone full on big time. I saw, he is I he's very not, much, he's a, he's a star now, which is great. He's a great actor. So. I, I discovered, not discovered personally, but like I first encountered him in Sundance in uh, what, 2019 with Last Black Man. Last Black Man. Yeah, which, which is, is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And does not rely on his size whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I have been, on one hand, I'm like, I'm glad he's, you know, major. Although I, I, I was actually thinking the other day where did the other um main character from last black man go <laughs> he hasn't been in anything since then um, he, he, he popped up in um that one that vanessa kirby got nominated for um what's his name jimmy falls or something like that oh uh, you're right the bridge one with uh with the, what's his name right with um with, shia labeouf no yeah with farrell labeouf yeah with the, the uh, kid yeah, that yeah. gets lost in the birth yeah uh, yeah 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 okay oh, you're right yeah, um, I think I think it was called "Sad Movie of the Year." I think that was the title. <laughs> um. <laughs> I actually really liked it, but I know everyone else hated it. Um, yeah, no, I I just I, I'm happy for majors in the same time that I'm that like he's got everything big, but I also hate when an actor like who comes from something incredible like Last Black Man goes to Hollywood and then just doesn't do these cool, smart, smaller roles anymore. So even seeing him do this and go back to it and say, like you said, like, "Hey, I'm going to do the kind of smaller, more intimate and intricate things" is cool to me. It's like. Yeah, don't sure. lose that focus and don't lose that ability to perform beyond just like, hey, I'm gay, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What's another? Well, I, let me get into a film that I liked again. Um, another one of my favorites was uh, All Dirt Roads Taste of Salt. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. This is from Raven Jackson, the director. Um, a very like mood and atmosphere driven movie. It reminded me very much, it's like a Malick type of feel or like Daughters of the yeah. Dust, um, where there's. Not like a much of a traditional narrative here. There's not even very much dialogue here, but it follows like this one character named Mac, uh, who and we watch her from her like childhood into her adulthood. There's a variety of actors. I'd say it's a it's a I think entirely black cast, but like like recognizable character actor faces that you see, and you just kind of observe various at various points in in their life and. What it's like to be in in uh, what like the uh, country Mississippi, like countryside Mississippi, with very minimal context. It's just more it's just more observation and moods and, and atmosphere that I, I just really I really I, I I thought it was a very unique film as far as what it was going for and how what it was approaching, um, yeah. and just just a, an interesting project to watch. Something that just felt different than anything else I was seeing there. Yeah, I agree. I was a little too tired to like fully appreciate it, but um, I just thought, what a beautiful film! And and that's biggest... fair. That's not that's not the one you watch at the end of a day where you've seen like six movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to like it, like you said, since it's such a mood piece, you just kind of like get lost in it. My biggest criticism was um, that they uh, there was never a moment of tasting the salt on the road, and I was like, yeah, gotta <laughs> give us this. I mean, there was a moment in the beginning where they're like working on the dirt road, and I'm like, oh, here's the dirt road, but here's I was waiting. we're getting it early. <laughs> yeah, but I was waiting for like even even in the scenes at the home at the table, I was like waiting for one of them to be like, mm, this salt is good from the road. And I was like, there we go. <laughs> but that never happened. So, but this is a dumb criticism. Everyone's laughing at me now. I get it. No worries. If you're fine. What's another What's another good one you saw? Um, I really want to comment on the Michael J. Fox movie. Still, yeah, yeah, that's still, I saw it as well. Okay, yeah. good. It's really, um, I don't think it's perfect. 
I have some weird issues with it, but overall, I thought this is really powerful and really stunning in terms of um, Davis Guggenheim from uh, An Inconvenient Truth making an extremely cinematic and very not conventional biopic slash um, basically disability film documentary about Michael J. Fox and his his uh, struggles with Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. And how much, how, how cool it was to see him integrate all these clips from his life as part of the storytelling and not just like, here's yeah. him in Back to the Future, but like use them and edit them into this like clever way of being like, oh, wow, this is cool to tell the story. And then also how open and um, uh, fun and uplifting Michael J. Fox is in, in his interviews and in his, you know, conversations and commentary on his life. And those like, uh, the, the 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 interviews where he's just like sitting in front of the camera and talking and just like it, it's you wouldn't think a guy like this going through this would be so funny and so willing to make fun of himself and yet he is and there he is and you're just you know completely in love with him by the end um, and I, my my only thing was that like <laughs> I say this both as a criticism but as a positive claim is that like oh I wanted to see more behind the scenes of Back to the Future two and three but it skips over that entirely for the benefit of it being a cinematic documentary where you're like, oh, this is, it's like another 90 minute thing where I was like, this could have been two and a half hours because he's made so many movies. But at the same time, you're like, as a 90 minute piece of cinema, this is fantastic. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I, I appreciated how much honesty it seemed to have um, as far as presenting him, especially, you know, in present day um, and, you know, what he's been going through, but also, giving us a sense of like how he was when he was at the height of his fame and how he could, you know, be kind of a dick at times. Like there's just, yeah, of course, which, you know, comes of having a lot of success being an actor and having ego, like that makes sense. But like, I, I like that it didn't shy away from that necessarily. Not to say that he's been a horrible person or something and changed. Yeah. It's more of, you know, there's a side effect that comes with being in front of everybody at the same time. Um, I also like that it shows just how much of a good comedian, force michael j fox really is where (laughs) he's you know he's here he's dealing with parkinson's but he's still here and he still has it he still like has the wit like it's it's you know people can maybe just look at him without hearing him and like maybe think you know be uh have sympathy for the fact he's dealing with and that's not disappropriate i mean yeah it's a struggle that he has to go through but at the same time just like listening to him talk and listening to him be himself He's such a sharp wit that I I just I've always admired that about him. Like he, yeah. he he's re, you got to really roll with the punches given like what life's brought to him. But he's he's doing it and he's doing it very successfully. It feels like I mean, yeah, granted, movie star he has the means to help himself, but he certainly hasn't given up on himself either, which is something you can't necessarily say for everybody. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, and he I, has a kind of like yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying, I, I, I do really like the way it incorporates the clips and yeah. my, you know makes that work as far as how to tell his story. Like it, I wouldn't say I walked away knowing anything new about Michael J. Fox, but I do think this is a really well-handled version of telling that story. Yeah, exactly. It it reminded me a lot of the Val Kilmer film Val from like one or two years ago. Um, And I liked Val more on a, you know, bigger scale because the, this is what I was going to say is that watching this film, I felt like his story is pretty linear. Like he, he gets into the biz with um, his show. I, I forget the name of it. Um, was the, the TV show that was like yeah, his, family like, ties? Yeah, yeah, and then and then it just leads right into the Back to the Future, and then it's like the rest is history. Whereas Val, Val was like he had a lot of ups and downs, he had a mm-hmm. lot of back and forth, and it felt more 
you kind of learn the, the depths and the glory. Whereas Michael J. Fox, it was like after Back to the Future, he was just riding on the top for the rest yeah, of the Val, Val is always more of a controversial figure as far as a movie yeah, star exactly. compared to Michael J. You know, be, be, there, there weren't struggles between him and Marlon Brando with <laughs> <laughs> Michael J. Fox yeah. like on sets. <laughs> and I mean, I, that, like, that's why I compared in the two, I would take Val. But at the same time, I think still this is great. And I... I just I was telling my parents like you guys really need to watch this. I actually felt like the the biggest compliment I can give the stills that I felt so optimistic and uplifted by the end, and that yeah he's going through these struggles and it's and it's about his his disability and his his you know illness. But at the same time you're like I just want to conquer the world like him now. You're like ah, I'm really moved and inspired by him, which is um, not as easy to pull off as you think when you're making a film like this. On the same note, I'll just go into the other documentary I watched. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw Little Richard, I Am Everything, oh, cool. um, which I really enjoyed. That's coming to HBO Max at some point, I'd imagine, soon since it's you know done. Um, I really enjoyed this one as well. I, I for one thing, I like Little Richard. I, I he has obviously great music, but also he's just such a fun presence. Like he is such a fun person to follow as far as like how he takes pride in himself in a way that's it's it's very uh, it very much brings you in on like not necessarily like the joke but like just the idea that this guy knows the talent that he has and he's happy to share that with you in a way that kind of makes you smile um in addition to that though it is a film that's very much about what he's gone through where he made hit songs that were then appropriated by white artists um mm-hmm. they they took like so much of his shine was taken away from him um, and or not get, not allowing him to have the credit that he should have had for what he was doing with rock and roll and all of that while also being a pretty openly queer person, um, which is, you know, certainly for 50s rock and roll scene, not something that's, you know, happening in the in, yeah. in, a, in a widespread way. So like the fact that he was constantly being nothing but himself um, and delivering, you know, classic songs. Um, I like this doc explores that as well as it can while still being like very entertaining. And even if it's made very traditionally, there's a lot of talking heads and whatnot, which little Richard passed like a couple years ago now at this point. So it's like, you know, there's only so much perspective to bring uh, to it from a new angle, but in terms of just delving into who this man was and why he deserves to be celebrated, I thought it was a really well put together doc. Oh, good. I didn't see it. I'm, I'm really curious. I'm sure. The other documentary I want to, now you make me think about documentaries I should mention, is The Deepest Breath. Did you hear of this one? I knew of this. Is this the one narrated by Momoa? No, that's a different one. That's Deep that's Rising. One. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, so wrong, wrong, wrong depth. Well, yeah, but also both about the ocean. <laughs> um, it's the way of water. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> exactly. Did, did Khan narrate this one? Is that? Is I one? wish, because that would make everything better. Khan needs the... Piacon should host Sundance. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> Piacon should be there greeting you at the door. Hey, it's me, Piacon. Have a mug. <laughs> I don't know how he's gonna get to Utah, but um, I'm he's sure smarter than all of us, Alex. I'm pretty sure Piacon <laughs> can figure it out. <laughs> true, true, true. Maybe there's like an underwater, underground sea he can swim. Okay, whatever, whatever. This, this is the um, Piacon cast. Uh, <laughs> I would love to start this with you. I love Piacon. Uh, the Deepest Breath is a, a documentary about free diving, actually. Um, and, it, you know, I recently saw the uh, Luc Besson film, The Deep Blue, I believe it's called. Um, Big Blue. Yes. About, also about free divers with um, uh, this French guy, um, uh, Jean Reno, I think. Yes, it's um, Jean Reno. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah. No, so 
So I was watching this and I was like, oh, wow, now I know everything about freediving. But this is like a real story of freediving. And it's, a, it's kind of a love story. It's very much this year's fire of love. And then it's like kind of about a couple and the like incredibly dangerous things that they do together as a couple and how they, you know, how they live and, and go through all of this intensity. But it's also just about the sport of freediving. And it's told in this incredibly like emotionally gripping way. Where uh, I sat down at the screening, and, and again, this, I've said this so many times about Sundance, but I love it when I go and knowing no idea what I'm about to do. And the whole theater, like all 300 of us in this theater were just like in complete awe and like holding our breath, which is funny because that's what they're doing in the film the whole time. And like these two industry bros behind me who like when the movie was starting, they're, they clearly work as like agents or something. And the, the whole time the movie was going, they were like, oh, whoa, whoa, like, oh my God. Like, and I could hear them kind of like, under their breath being like man this is crazy the whole time so it was it was fun to hear them because i was just so moved by this i was crying at the end i was like fully into it it just blew me away i've seen mixed reviews which blows my mind maybe it works better because i saw it at the premiere on the big screen but as a film about these two free divers and about how incredible the sport is it was just amazing and they use it actually says at the beginning of the film that they use Mostly archival footage, but there are recreations. So a lot of what you see is like literally watching someone go down and hold their breast for six minutes and, and you know, compete in these competitions. And, um, I, you know, most of it is real footage, but at the same time, a lot of it just feels like you're there with them. And it's, this is why I say everyone in the audience is holding their breath at the same time the people in the film are holding their breath. Um, and it just left me like in pieces by the end. And I, um, I, I love docs about you know adventure sports and, and incredibly dangerous things and this is one of the best i've seen in a long time it really really won me over well the lack of Pyacon aside it does sound pretty interesting so I, I do want to check this one out when i can yeah i would actually wish there were more whales in it and Pyacons, but there's not they mm. keep it to the people sadly the, the, you know 20 2030 <laughs> once he gets all of these sequels out the tolkoons are going to rise so hard it's going to be great all the spinoffs we're going to get it's going to be wonderful <laughs> This is really morphed into a, a slash Sunday slash Avatar podcast. <laughs> oh, Pyacon's the best. Are you kidding? Uh, I know. We, Alex, we know. Most of the world knows that. Avatar, I don't know if you know this, <laughs> is the fourth highest grossing movie of all time. No but way. It's, but, it, but it's also uh, weirdly not popular because there are not enough memes. So that's how it works. I know. Uh, people like, I don't know anyone who's seen it. <laughs> uh, let me talk about another movie I saw. Um, it is called Landscape with an Invisible Hand. Uh, yes, uh, this is from director Corey Finley, who made Thoroughbreds a couple years ago that I really, really enjoyed. And he also made that Hugh Jackman film about where he's the teacher. Um, <laughs> bad Education. That went to bad Education, yeah. yeah. That, that, I like that movie, too. I mean, I just I really yeah, like too. Thoroughbreds. But um, but this is his latest film, and it's based on a novel. It's a like a sci-fi comedy that it's like a, a weird, not-too-distant future where aliens basically invaded one and are now guiding the way humanity continues to live while making them redundant. <laughs> like like as a corporation who runs Earth, basically. Yeah, yeah. They're, so they're just kind of like, like, well, you're still here, so you can, like, I don't know, do tourism stuff. <laughs> like, that's your, that's your job. Now. We don't really need you, but we're not going to get rid of you. <laughs> yeah. um, but it focuses on, on, like, this kid played by Asante Black. He's, like, an artist. He's in high school. He Like, there's a new girl that comes to school. He meets her. Um, their family's like struggling because of all the alien stuff. So they like move in with his family to, to Tiffany Haddish is the kid's mother. And it like the way it develops this world, I found intriguing. 
intriguing. And actually, the the alien design I found really intriguing. I was like, well, that's new. Like, <laughs> I haven't seen that. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. That's that's actually pretty clever. Yeah. Um, I thought the movie was like, I think it's pretty good. I don't think it's great, but I think it's pretty good. It, it's kind of like, I feel like it like kind of lost its steam by the end. But yeah, yeah. I just, I really appreciated like how to approach this kind of story. If you're going to do like sci-fi dystopia, this is like a different way to handle it as far as being a comedy and like having some things to say about society and about the kinds of people in society, about haves and have nots and what have you. Like there's some clever ideas buried in there while also still essentially being an entertaining movie. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm right there with you. I thought it was really good and interesting, and I appreciate the boldness of everything he's trying to do. But it didn't. I was expecting to love this, and by the end, I was like, "Nah, it's all right." No, I don't know. And I, I'm gonna drop this on this podcast and get canceled for saying this. I think the main kid um, was miscast. He he does. It's not that he's a bad actor. He just does not feel like the kid he's portrayed as in the movie. Like the artist nerd soft sensitive kid who then you know takes on this kind of thing and and becomes the you know important you know it's just i was like this guy he's he's great in other movies but he's not the right kid for this movie and it really bothered me halfway through i was like come on and also tiffany haddish i'm not a big fan of her so like it was interesting with her because she's playing a mainly dramatic role in this with a few comedic jabs here and there and her comedy being tiffany haddish works because that's what she does but then she like drops a joke and then she'll just go into this like clearly obvious dramatic delivery back and forth. And I was like, oh, it's so obvious. And I just like it all just made me feel a little bit distant from the movie, despite how much I appreciate everything it's trying to do. I don't know. I couldn't fully get into it. Fair enough. I also want to say one of the interesting things is that um, I was at the premiere and when it ended, there was a and a and that, you know, everyone was there. And this guy asked this question. He's like, I have a controversial question. And he I, asked, yeah, I, I know what this is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He asked and I was like, this is actually a damn good question. And he said, is it not interesting that you make a movie about artistic integrity and selling out being made by MGM in a major studio with lots of money? And I was like, he's actually asking a legit question here. But they actually answered it really well, which is Tiffany Haddish said, Number one, yes, you should stay true to your integrity and you should always fight back. And she's like, in my career, that's what I've done. I've said no. I need, when, when something doesn't feel right, you speak up and you say no. And then she handed it over to Corey Finley, who, who she said, and I, I have to take her word for it. She's like, Corey, actually, that's what he did. And he said he's going to make it the way he wants to make it. He's going to stay true to what he wants to do. And he's not going to let MGM and the money people change it the way he wants to, which is, you know, for people who haven't seen it, that's literally what happens in the film. And he and I think the the biggest testament to this being true is the way the aliens communicate. Because I was like, this is a huge bold risk to make have the aliens communicate by like slapping their hands together and making noises, mm-hmm. and then having to translate that through this little box in every single scene. Mm-hmm. And that they never ever over like they never change that. They never kind of like suddenly blended into English or anything like that. It's like, I also I never tired of it. That. I yeah. never tired of that either. I, I every time it was happening, it's like I'm so fascinated by this. Exactly. So I'm like. <laughs> Good question, but apparently, from what they're saying, it did stay true to what they want to do. And I and I admire both his question and the answer that was given. I think both of them were fair responses to this film and, and a worthwhile conversation to have about it. I appreciated their response uh, because it felt <laughs> thought out. I I did I don't not appreciate the question. It just feels like 
you can apply this question to so many films at most film festivals these at most bit major film festivals these days sure, that already sure, come sure. pre already come prepackaged with a studio and a budget that's far greater than the means of some of other indie films that maybe make it maybe don't. Uh, but of all films to ask this for, it, it's this because it's literally because it, commentary it, it, on that. You know, it does apply to the plotting, so that yeah, I, I can appreciate exactly. it in, the, in that sense. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I mean, of course, the audience wouldn't like it, but I was like sitting over here on the side, like, yeah, good question. Like me, only one in the whole cinema. Yeah, the the the, bo- the bones of that question I do appreciate. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's contextual stuff where it's like, okay, but I but I, I did appreciate that it allowed for a solid back and forth as opposed to a dismissal. So exactly. I mean, I was actually really impressed the way Tiffany Haddish answered it. I was like, wow, she handled this quite well. Like she didn't. She did not knew. Uh, yeah, yeah. And she was clearly, she was really supportive of the film. She was like, before it started, when he introduced her, and he's like, oh, Tiffany Haddish is here. She was like, woo, cheering in the audience. Like, clearly, she is proud to be in this and wants to support, you know, Corey's vision of what it, what it is. What's another film you got? Okay, I want to jump into, speaking of speaking of negative commentary here, can we talk about one I did not like? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> before it's over. Uh, did you see Cat Person? No, I did not. <sighs> okay, good. No. <laughs> I did not which, like Cat Person. Which one is that? That's somebody's involved in that that I'm aware of. Um, uh, Amelia Jones from Coda. From Coda. She had two films at the festival, right? Yeah, I don't. I didn't see the other one she was in. Um, this one is based on the New Yorker article. It's like a famous article, and therefore a very, a very heavily hyped movie. Um, it's this New Yorker article. I think it was published in like 2016 or 2017, where it's like this long piece where you I don't know if it's fiction or not although apparently it is a true story where like this young girl meets a guy and tries to date him and he's you know sucks at dating basically and sucks at kissing and super awkward and all these weird things about it and it was like huge viral hit as a story and along with Zola it's one of the only films that has been made in contemporary times based on what is essentially a viral story. Not even a complete story, you know, it was like a short story. And Uh um, I really did not like this film because I think it's very flawed in, you know, I, 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 on one hand, they were trying to be accurate and follow what was written in the story. On the other hand, I felt like the film had no idea what it was trying to be. Is it a common, it, like, it was trying to be a horror film about how bad it is to date men, but it was also trying to be this, like, weird, awkward comedy. And it, the whole film is, is literally just this awkward relationship between these two people. Like, he's an old, older man. She's, like, a 22-year-old or 23-year-old college girl. And he's this, like, 30-something dude who, you know, the whole time you're like, is he going to murder her? What's going on here? And uh, and then essentially they try to have these really awkward dates. And my other weird thing about it was that, and I, I, I've I've talked to other men about this. Um, I haven't had a conversation with a woman yet because I'm really scared to hear what she has to say. But from other people's perspective, they also were like, "Yeah, this is what I saw in the film too," which is that it's not really about toxic masculinity. It's mainly just about how both of the people, men and women, are really dumb and really terrible at dating. And it sh- like the whole time she just ignores all these red flags and she has a best friend in the film who like keeps reminding her and trying to tell her like, don't do this. Don't go with this guy. Don't make these mistakes. What are you doing? And she just constantly ignores it the whole film. And like the, the, the discussion around why it does this is that, oh, it's putting us in this perspective of a woman who's making these mistakes so that we can see this. But like my problem was that after like 30 minutes of this, I just felt uncomfortable the rest of the movie because she literally never learns anything the whole film. 
And it just ends with this like crazy showdown where you're like, what was the whole point of this? What do you, what? I don't even know if the filmmaker knows what she was trying to say with this film. And I, 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 I don't want to say it betrays the original short story it's based on, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like it even understands what that story is trying to say and therefore doesn't understand what it's trying to say as a film and gets lost in the mix. And my friend who, who had worked on it said, yes, I was expecting this. It's going to be divisive. It's going to be some people hate it, some people love it. And of course, a lot of the reviews I've read from women are like, this is so accurate about dating. This is so perfect. And I'm like, is it though? <laughs> and this is why I'm afraid to talk about it because it's like, I despise this film. It's my least favorite of the festival. I think it was... It's not that it's not well made. It's just a mess of a movie, and I, I, I'm, I don't want to talk about it because I know everyone's gonna have these different interpretations. But at the same time, I'm like, I have confirmed with other people that this is definitely what the film is showing. That he's not an asshole. He's just an idiot, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say about a movie about how it's supposed to be about how men are assholes. I'm like, is he's not really though. He's just, he's just a dumbass who doesn't know how to date anyone, and neither does she. She doesn't know how to date anyone either. That's my cat person takedown. Well, that sounds exhausting. Um, <laughs> it is. It is, Aaron. It is. I guess on a similar note, because I didn't have many, like, because I had such a limited experience as far as what films I could see, I could be more selective. Um, but I did see some of, like, the, you know, the major ones just because they're like, oh, look at these big stars and here's a movie or what have you. Mm -hmm. So I saw I saw The Pod Generation. Oh. Um, which is like it's not terrible. It's not yeah. even necessarily bad. It just feels like it's unfinished. Like yeah. I, I watched it. It has Chiwetel Ejiofor uh, in a and and um what's her name Amelia. Not, not uh, <laughs> that's not the other one that you just talked about. Um, <laughs> what's her name from Game of Thrones? Um, Clark oh, Amelia Clark. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's set in like another kind of not too distant future. Um, where babies are can now be grown in like wombs separate from the woman they're called in their pods and you can take care of the pod yourself and the idea is that it takes away like maternity uh like the the kind of physical maternity aspect from the woman so the, so both men and women can share that burden um and things from there uh it, it's like it it introduces an idea that had like it opens up a lot of questions obviously especially about technology and where we're going with that and what have you. Uh, and I, it's essentially trying to be this kind of like comedy with, you know, buns of, you know, bits of drama and what have you. And they're in like a satire of sorts, but this doesn't really go anywhere. Like it doesn't, yeah. it just kind of becomes a series. It comes in the middle. It's kind of a series of skits essentially as far as like, yeah. well, now to tell you for like he did, he didn't like this and now he does like this. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Like, yeah. and, by the way, both of them are British, and so I, I, I was amused by which one decided I'd be American. Uh, in this case, it was Clark. Uh, I feel yeah. like they flipped a coin. It's like, which one of us gets to be British? Uh, but uh, <laughs> by the end of this whole thing, I was just like, well, okay, so like, what's the, what are we, where are we going with this? And the yeah. movie's like, nowhere, because the end, it just kind of <laughs> stops. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, was, I was curious what the next... Yeah. It seems like there's some lingering questions that were going on there, both involving the plot of this movie and the moral implications or what have you. But yeah, whatever. It just kind of stops. So yeah. it's like, that's kind of the one I'm the most down on just because I don't have anything to go on with it beyond like, well, it happened, I guess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that one. Exactly. As you said, I don't want to talk about the ending because, you know, people haven't seen it, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly what you said. I was like, that's it. 
<laughs> you know, like what? what? And I, I, the good thing for me is this was my second film at the festival on the very first day. So as soon as I got over it, I was like, great, we have more better stuff to see, and I don't have to think about it anymore. Which is, it's a, it's a little bit of a letdown to me because it's so well made. Yeah, it's, it's a world. It's, a, it's, so it's cool, a good looking cool. movie. It has and what it needs without, you know, it's. It's not. It's not lo-fi, but it's not a high budget either. It's like yeah. right, right where it needs to be as far as getting across the future that these characters exist in and making that yeah. look effective and what have you. And but. the pods are cool. Like it's got it all there. It just mm-hmm. it's empty otherwise. You know, it's a strange film. It's. It reminds me another one like that was. Um, sometimes I think about dying with uh, Daisy Ridley. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't see that one, but yeah, yeah, very similarly. It brings up some good ideas and then just doesn't really go anywhere and doesn't really have much to say it isn't really deep and i think i think some people will connect with it if you're exactly like her like this super shy super lonely person you'll be like oh i know exactly how she feels but for everyone else it was like there's nothing more to this and i want more to it and there's just nothing here and you know this is why something like a thousand and one stands out so much to me because that has so much going for it it's it's just like you compare that to something like these movies where you're like this is empty and then you get a thousand one you're like this is full with so much commentary even if it doesn't all work it's just much nicer to have this depth to think about and to consider in a film that is only less than two hours and covers so much territory. And I find that more fascinating. It's not to say a simple film can't be good, just that, you know, in comparison, when I'm watching 50 films at a festival, like the ones that really stand out are the ones that usually have more going for them than just something simple and, and forgettable. Let's talk about a couple more films before you wrap up here. I don't want to keep us going. Uh, what's, what's another, yeah. what's another uh, highlight or low light you want to put out there? Well, I would talk about another negative one, but I don't know if, want to dig into the too deep um no the, i guess the other one i would really mention because it i loved it was flora and son which is the new john carney film okay yeah um i didn't get to see this one but i i like john carney so. yeah it was a last minute edition and they didn't oh. put it online it was not available online he snuck um, it in yeah and someone said that they just filmed a few months ago so fresh off the griddle or whatever you want to say is it done like do they talk about that? Like, is it like, you know, are we still going to tweak it a bit or? I mean, it's kind of spoiler territory to answer this question, but. It's kind of spoiler to ask you if the movie's finished. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll answer this without giving away too much. Is that so much of it is going like it's like the, the context of the film is that there's this um, Irish woman played by, uh, I was told Bono's daughter. Um, and little, she, little Bono. Okay. Uh, she's fantastic. Uh, not, not that young. She's like 30 something. And she has this like medium sized Bono. Yeah. And she has this son and that hence Flora and son. And they're not they're like at odds and they're kind of these like they have no money and they live in Dublin and whatever. And um, she after kind of like a breakup kind of starts learning music. And so she takes this online music. Wait a minute. John Carney made a movie set in Ireland about a musician. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. And here's the, here's the best part, though. Joseph Gordon-Levitt stars as the online guitar teacher. Of course. And it's building and building, and you're, like, waiting for her to get good at guitar and do all this. And then it, like, gets there, and then it, like, literally the last ten minutes is, is one of these, like, oh, we're going to do a montage, and we're going to have a final performance, and then it's just over. And I was, like, I was loving everything up until this moment. And then the reason why I'm saying this is answering your question is that I'm, like, did he just rush the ending? Did he just say, 
Because there could have, like, everyone who's seen it would say there could have clearly been another 30 minutes of them, the story playing out and things happening and going on. And it was just hmm. like, nope, we're over. And that was why it was like, I, I would, I, the, the, the craziest thing about this, which is happening more and more these days, is I was like, I would rather this be an HBO Max series. And this would be episode one of a, you know, a 60 minute episode. And because it's only like nine, it's like 87 minutes or something like this. And then the rest of it is, you know, every other episode is continuing on the story because like you, you, you love these characters so much. I was not expecting to like fully be in love with Flora, who, who I say that from like an attraction standpoint, but also from like a, she's a cool Irish girl standpoint, but then also like all the other characters you meet along the way, you're like, these people are cool. I'm enjoying my time with them. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is fantastic and also hot. And you just want to like hang out with him. And then you're like, I like how I said I narrowed out the exact question to ask about this movie without knowing anything about it. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> is, is like, it done? <laughs> well, let me, that's a funny story about that. Let me tell you. <laughs> but, but it is a fair question to ask because, like you said, it was just shot recently, and you're like, how did he get it ready? I mean, I think it had credits because that's always a sign to me that it was like barely done. As if I've seen a couple Sundance films that just end on black and they didn't even have time to make the credits. Um, I hope when and the yeah, press comes I, out that it's like two and a half hours. And I, get a, I would a love real, that. I would. Yeah. I would be so happy. But it, it it also does feel like a fleshed out story, and that it does reach a conclusion. I mean, to, for the most part, okay. and um, it does also feel like it was properly mixed, and the sound was good, and the color was done. So it it felt like a proper finished film. Um, I just was not done with the story and the characters. That's that's the simplest way to put it. But I but I loved it, and the, the songs are great, and it's. I mean, John Carney can do no wrong. He's just like a musical genius and I, I guess I'm also more intrigued by how this is not a TV show because everyone's making TV shows so I'm like how did John Carney not just make this into a TV series for HBO rather than a movie like why because did he... he knows because he knows movies are better that's I think what he took away from that <laughs> well but but you could argue that that's a whole other podcast to discuss about right I don't now. need to I could I could just safely say right now movies are better than TV period end of sentence I don't need a podcast really? to do that I, I just said I, it right I, there I love you for saying that, Aaron. But at the same time, like, is there a way? Is there a way to flesh out that argument? Of course there is. But I'm not going to walk away with a conclusion that's not <laughs> movies are better than TV. <laughs> Look, I agree with you, but I also love, love a lot of modern TV, which is not something I would usually say. Uh, there's, uh, there's plenty of good TV out there. It's just not as good as movies. <laughs> that's a pe okay, period well, of sentence. <laughs> well, when, you, when you get around to seeing Flora and Son, which was bought by Apple, um, I'm curious to hear what your interpretation of this quote-unquote rushed ending is and then i'm also curious to see if he if he does anything with it since yeah i i am too now for sure to be clear that's not me saying all movies are better than all tv that's not me that's not me you saying are now like, in this you can't baby geniuses is better than the sopranos no. like i'm not saying no. this <laughs> you are forever locked in this you said it aaron i'm i'm making t-shirts right now that They'll probably sell like hotcakes and then they'll be burned well, by all the TV. I, I mean, you can make that shirt. Just make sure it says on the front of it, movies are better than TV. Aaron Newworth, out now, Aaron and Abe. On the back of it, it has this long-winded explanation that I just explained. <laughs> I don't mean all movies are better than all TV. And then it keeps going. Then eventually it has dot, 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 because you're at the end of the shirt and there's no more space. Um, fine, fine, <laughs> just see all of it. Yeah. Just say all of that, and then special thanks to everybody that's ever been a guest on Out Now, Aaron and Abe. Just all of that text right on one t-shirt. <laughs> um, uh, one more movie I'll mention uh, that we can wrap it up. Um, uh, Radical. Did you see Radical? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I did. You know Gervais. Yeah. Um, I, I I'm not gonna like go out of my way and say like this is gonna blow your mind because it's a very traditional story. Um, it's very Sunday. It's very just like what it is. But it as you know Gervais as a teacher in I think it's like early 2000s, like 2000s on a border town in Mexico. 
Um, it's called radical because he's a teacher that does things his own way. He's a, he's he's teaching sixth graders and he's doing unique stuff and making it different than how the other classes have been doing it because their school is like the lowest graded school in the country or something like they're in like the world or whatever. Um, and they got to pass some tests so they can get money for the school. There is nothing like new about this story, but the reason formulas work um, yes. <laughs> uh, or you know, last yes. so long is because yes. the formula works. It works. Yes. And, and this, it, it really <laughs> knows how to use this formula of kind of the yeah. teacher that comes in and, you know, changes the lives of a few students or what have you. It does it really well. Derbez is great. Uh, yeah. He's wonderful here. He's he's brings all the kind of humor that he's you know can do, but also a level of dramatic urgency to what he's trying to accomplish as well. Uh, the kids that we do meet, I think, are all effective. You know, you meet a handful of them as far as their personal stories go, and there's there's a very specific reason why this film was based on a true story. Um, I don't want to get into like it's it'd be a spoiler for history, so I don't mind too much. But like, it is neat to like by the end of this thing, you get you know the kind of the dialogue that tells you like what happened in real life or what happened. It's like it's really neat to like learn what where this stems from and like what's yeah, going on yeah. here and it's just well made it's too long it's like a little over two hours but it's like it does the exact job i'd want from a movie like this and i can't fault it for feeling familiar when it's done effectively yeah no i completely agree with you i loved it for that exact reason i was just like whoa i'm so moved by this but yeah but, yeah but <laughs> you get to the, the end funny... and i'm like oh i feel things <laughs> like that's exactly nice. <laughs> the funniest thing to me about it was that i thought his teaching wasn't really that radical i was just like oh he's just encouraging them to like read some books and you know not 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 care about a test i'm like okay where's the radical coming in you know but i guess it's contextually radical but yeah yeah um, cause there was never a moment where I was like, wow, he taught these kids to do something that they could have never done. He was basically just like teaching them how to float a boat. I was like, okay. <laughs> the whole, the whole, the whole like study for their whole semester was like, how does a boat float? I was like, when are they going to learn this? <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I really, I think it's excellent and, and like, everything you said is right on. Yes. <laughs> I'm generally right, but thank you. But no, I, I'm glad you feel the same way because I do think it. I don't know if this got bought or where it's going to come out. But that's so seems like an easy sell to kind of yeah, put out yeah. there or something. But uh, it just it works. Like I like when films like that can work. Like it's it's great to see something like uh, all the dirt uh, or uh, <laughs> all the dirt roads taste the salt. But at the same time, it's like something traditional like this. I don't yeah. mind it when it's done well, and that's exactly you know, it. It accomplished that. Yeah. Um, any other like quick mentions you want to run through anything yeah i mean it, literally in the same thing you just said like kind of formulaic but works well is this film called shortcomings um which yeah, is okay uh, yeah i saw that one yeah oh you did that's right yeah that's randall park's debut yeah yeah right. i really i i saw some people give bad reviews but i really loved it i thought it was like incredibly realistic and uh honest with dealing with characters who are flawed and and have their own shortcomings and um I don't know. I really, I was really caught up in it. I was like, "Well, this is really good. This is Randall Park." Correct. I was impressed that Justin H. Min, who's the star, he was Yang and after Yang. I was impressed that the second he started speaking, I was like, "This sounds like Randall Park." <laughs> like it sounds like <laughs> Randall Park wrote this. I mean, I know it's based on a comic, but like it sounds like Randall Park directed him to be like, "Just be my voice in this movie." <laughs> like, just, yeah, yeah. just, just do what I would do. <laughs> like, that's what it well, feels. It, like. 
it feels like a proper representation of an Asian American who's not following the cliche Asian American idea and had yeah. something to say that goes against the grain. Because I think not only is that the writer who wrote the script, but that is probably Randall Park from what I gather. I and imagine that's all why he was attracted like, to the material. Yeah. yeah, I'd say all of them involved in this film are like, we're going to do something that goes against the Crazy Rich Asians concept and do this and let's make it more realistic to how we feel. And I was like, that's cool. Even if people don't like the movie, I'm like, I'm glad they were... I don't know if bold enough is the right word, but like I, I just I'm just glad that they made this movie. I I, I, guess I think I, it's pretty bold that like the there's an actual spoof of Crazy Rich Asians yeah. in this movie with Ronnie yeah. Chang and, and Stephanie Tzu. I was like, that's actually really funny that they yeah. like they either they probably just weren't ever going to get the rights to use the actual movie Crazy Rich Asians. Like, let's just make it exactly the same but with different actors. <laughs> but it's also bold of them to make fun of it and like criticize. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's why I think that is bold that they did that. Yeah. That's that's really yeah. funny. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I, um, I mean, I, I, there were a lot of other films I love, but I won't spend time on them. Scrapper, I really enjoyed. Um, Shida, this film. Yeah, I've heard good things about that one. Yeah. Holy Spider, yeah. Uh, a lot of the documentaries were good, too. I liked um, King Cole, Going to Mars, which won an award. Um, Bad Press is really good. Uh, the other one I really loved was Cassandra with Gael Garcia Bernal. He's great in that. I, I yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, we covered all the other ones that I kind of really love, loved. Oh, Past Lies, which is, you should do a whole episode on it later when it comes out. Yeah, that, that one wasn't made available online, but I'm also like, this is going to be like a movie yeah. to watch. So yeah, we'll talk about that at some point, I'm sure. And everything else is kind of in the middle, not, you know, really worth talking about. I mean, I have more criticism and stuff, but that's, that's, uh, I don't want to waste time. People won't even listen to me. They'll be like, oh, I hate this guy, Alex. I don't want to listen to him. But in general, I had such a good time watching a lot of these and I felt like, what I said at the beginning is the Sundance programming this year was so strong in terms of, I think Radical is the perfect example of that. Even if it's formulaic, the filmmaking quality makes it a really great film. And a lot of what I saw this year felt that way to me. Like, it's not my favorite or I don't totally jive with the story, but damn, the filmmaking is good. And I appreciate that because I see so much junk at other festivals that I'm like, this is what matters to me nowadays, the quality of the filmmaking. And that is what stands out. And I'm glad I could watch so many of these. And I think the last thing I'll say is I just really hope people watch them. I always have this problem with Sundance where I'm like, I love this film. I love that film. And then no one watches these films. And I'm like, please watch these films. You know, please go see them. Take a chance on them and, and give them a life outside of Sundance. No, I agree. I, I would say I didn't see anything that necessarily blew me away. I do think 1001 Alder Road, Taste of Salt, and Rye Lane were like my standouts, and there was yeah. just a lot of really solid doubles that I saw. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, yeah, good movies that, you know, many have been picked up already. Some probably will, and yeah, it's nice to get those out there as far as getting audiences to see things that are straying from the normal a little bit, or at least feeling like, hey, there's uh, unique voices out there that want to tell maybe familiar stories that have new angles on them, such as something like Shortcomings, which is like, yeah, it's familiar rom-com type thing, except, hey, what if it's a cast of Asian Americans that are yeah. you know, not focused on the fact that they're Asian Americans, even though it kind exactly. of comes to play. <laughs> um, just like, the, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, as far as, it doesn't need to be about a, the oppression of a certain race, it can just be about a, characters of a certain race at, you know, being in a modern society. <laughs> like, for exactly. Um, we're Regardless, yeah, I, I do think there's a lot of positives to take away, even if I wasn't blown away by anything. But, like, there's still, like, plenty of, you know, having having a festival uh, filled with good movies is not a bad thing. So. Yeah, of course, I agree. 
Um, all right. Well, I, I think we can wrap it up there. I, I Alex, I do thank you for uh, hopping on to like talk to me about Sundance and your experiences there and the films you saw. Of course, I I always need a debrief. Like I have to hold all this in and tell my parents about it in the end, and they're like, "What are you telling us?" So it's nice to have a real conversation and like let it out and and chat about all these films. So thank as you. long yeah, as, as long as that comes with you just handing your parents a phone and a link and saying, "Listen to this podcast out now with Aaron and Dave," and be, <laughs> no, they, and, be and, 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 and be sure to rate and review them on iTunes. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, that's... I'm going to put it on a USB drive and hand it to everyone I know in Berlin. Like, oh, hey, here's the podcast with me. Listen to it. <laughs> right. Well, with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Dave. Uh, you can find everything I do over my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. I write for We of Entertainment for my movie reviews, as well as my Sundance uh, wrap-up that I put together, as well as Wise to Blue for Criterion and Blu-ray reviews. I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Alex Billington, where can people find more of you online? Um, as always, at First Showing on Twitter, First Showing on Letterboxd, and FirstShowing.net. Great. Uh, you can find all the other episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher. We're available everywhere you can find podcasts, and we're on all the socials as well. Uh, thanks, Alex, once again. And uh, let's see, next week's show, we'll be talking Knock at the Cabin, M. Night Shyamalan's latest film, Knock at the Cabin. That's that's what's to come up next. But that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, so long and goodbye. El Madrid, it's nice to see you. It's really nice to be here. I love you all. Still be your fat fuck smoked out cowpoke sequin mountain ladies. I love you all. Put your arms around me, fiddly digits, itchy britches. I